Hi, the CVG Road Tour continues. We're at Fairfield University with Bob Dorf. Uh, he is a lifetime entrepreneur and resident of Connecticut. Bob, welcome. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. So why are you here today? Um, well, I've got a couple jobs today. First is coaching some of the teams. And second is participating in a fireside chat to give some guidance, hopefully some inspiration, and also make sure that the entrepreneurs realize that this is not an easy task they've uh, chosen and not an easy course they've chosen. You're the bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> the Grinch. <laughs> the Grinch. Yes. Okay. And you're speaking from your personal experience. Yeah, I've been doing startups for 45, 46 years now that I think of it. Um, started my first of seven at age 22. And uh, for some strange reason, number one and number seven were the big multi-million dollar hits. And I had a long dry spell in between. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, this is how you learn to build a startup. I, you know, I've been involved in seven IPOs. And all you do is pat yourself on the back. You're brilliant. Your timing was great. Your wisdom. But when you spend a couple of years and fund it with your own money and you realize it's time to sort of crump it all up and put it in the toilet and pull the plunger, that's when you learn how to build a business. What am I not going to do again next time? And to me, that's really the heart of successful entrepreneurship is forcing failure as early in the process as you possibly can remedying the failure, fixing that part, finding the next weakness or failure, and iterating and iterating relentlessly until you have a dog that hunts. So you can fail at failing. <laughs> and the, and the, the, the presumption is that if you don't really be honest with yourself and your partners about why a venture didn't succeed, then you haven't gotten the most you can from the experience. Well, hopefully you are failing up, so to speak, and finding, I mean, the way I think of it is a startup is one gigantic, ultra-long algorithm. Customers, you know, market segmentation, targeting, customer acquisition, cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. And you can literally test each of those elements long before you launch the business so looking back over the past five years, since you first published the book, what would you add or change to it now? Uh, interesting question. I think the first thing I would do uh, in one of the many battles I lost with Steve Blank, I would delete the first 80 or 90 pages, which are to some degree the history of entrepreneurship and technology, sort of a, to give people a grounding in what entrepreneurship is all about. And I think that what most entrepreneurs really want and what we try to do with the other 518 pages is let me hold your hand and walk you through a very complicated minefield that is basically going to kill 95% of the people who hold my hand and start the entrepreneurial journey. Mm -hmm. And how do you find your way? And so... And it, we get lots of love letters from all over the world about, thank you, it helped me so much. But I think if I were to do it again, um, which is not on my list of things to do anytime <laughs> soon, because it was literally two years of heads down, 80, yeah. 90 hour weeks to get there, is more, um, make it more of a workbook. 
Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about the business model canvas as Steve and I modified it for startups as opposed to established enterprises for whom it was uh, developed initially. Mm-hmm. Why not have, well, here are 10 business model canvases, one from an e-commerce company, one from a taco truck, one from an enterprise software company. Mm-hmm. Now here's a blank one, fill in yours, mm-hmm. okay? Here are the 25 ways to critique your first draft. In other words, even more hand-holding because otherwise, and I think, I, I would bet that fewer than a 1,000 entrepreneurs of the 420,000 who bought it have actually made it all the way through the book because it's painful. Uh, it's, it demands a lot of the entrepreneur, but so does success. And so if we could take that... Uh, lead you by the hand one more crank, I think it would be very valuable, but um, it's probably at least another year's journey, if not two, to rebuild it as more of a work, the kind of workbook we used to get in, you know, junior high school algebra or something like that. So you have a following. You you have a following. I mean, you've created from the book, you know, courses, uh, you give lectures sure. keynote. We, we have we turned it into full semester courses three-day courses two-day courses one week intensive courses where you literally go through the book in five extraordinarily long days and in each of those days you you're kicked out of the classroom for half a day to go get the only feedback that matters that's feedback from prospective customers mm-hmm. and then you come back on tuesday morning Here's what we learned. Our business model is not very good. So we're going to try these changes. And when we get kicked out of the classroom this afternoon, we're going to test those. And it's this constant iteration is really the heart of what drives success in startups. Um, As opposed to the old school, first thing you do is lock yourself in a room and write a 50-page business plan that is fundamentally 98 or 99% Grimm's fairy tales. We're going to do this. Customers are going to reach for it. They're going to buy two of them a month, and they're going to buy six at Christmas and give them to their friends. And that's going to make this magnificent spreadsheet <laughs> of fairy tales in the back, uh, you know, an instant success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for, for for entrepreneurs who don't have access or may think they don't have time to join a formal accelerator program or take a university course, you know, there's a way to access the wisdom that you've collected through your experience and your interactions by buying the book and working along with it. Yeah, and they don't even have to buy the book. First of all, everything Steve and I have done for 10 years is public domain. There are hundreds of videos. There's a totally free, even free of advertising nine-session online course at udacity.com. Uh, no membership required, nothing. It's, I, it's there this. for the team. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I, I love this. I love that. It's just like it's out there, and you're just like, get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's great. Now, lots of entrepreneurs, you know, need to have their heads beaten in mm-hmm. some and need the face-to-face interaction. But for the most passionate, most ambitious entrepreneurs – they don't need to come to a course. They don't, I mean, they can buy the ebook for $8 to have it as a handy reference. They don't need to carry the three pound monster around with them to, right. to, to find success. So, so my curiosity is going to take us a little bit further afield. Uh, when we were talking offline, you had mentioned that you do teaching overseas 
And I'm curious as to how you find the entrepreneur cultures of different places, how it varies, how it compares to the U.S. It, it's it's a very difficult question. I mean, my, my last trip was to Tunisia, where the biggest challenge, many challenges, challenge number one is it's a country of 11 million people, and they're not allowed to spend Tunisian dinars outside of the borders of the country so it's very hard to buy software, for wow. example, or hardware to, to yeah. build your business. But the, the two most critical differences there, number one, Tunisia right, has only been a democracy since 2015. No, sorry, 2011, okay? And so the, call it 25-year-old entrepreneurs, spent almost their entire lives being told exactly what to do in a very regimented environment. And when they sit with a mentor, they want the mentor to tell them what to do, which is the worst thing a mentor can do for an entrepreneurial team. Mm. Show me the way. If you think my idea is stupid, don't say your idea is stupid. Say, I think you ought to go talk to 10 customers and ask them questions like this and get some real genuine feedback about it. And then maybe you'll discover that your idea is stupid. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about what can we change? What can we fix? What about the commonalities? Which is probably perhaps the better question. I mean, there's a lot of differences between every culture. But what are the commonalities that you find in entrepreneurs worldwide? Well, in successful entrepreneurs, almost more important than skill is sort of passion, drive, tenacity. Uh, I had a student at Columbia who had a very complex idea that clearly needed three or $400,000 to get to first base, get halfway to first base. And I said, I don't know how anybody's going to give you that kind of money for this interesting but not stellar idea. Why do you think they're going to invest in you? She said, well, I know some people who believe in me, and they believe that if I put my name on something, I'm going to work it to death, and I am not going to tolerate failure. That's what makes a great entrepreneur. Uh, and you see it everywhere in varying percentages. Uh, in Russia, where I've taught quite often, the typical answer is, I am an honors graduate from Moscow State University. I have a PhD in engineering, and I have five awards and seven papers published. I know what the customer wants. I'm going to build it, and they're going to buy it. It's another great fairy tale, you know, in <laughs> Russian this time. And uh, it's just not biotech engineer. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So let's move away from uh, your story for a moment and, and, and turn the lens back on to you know, Connecticut from where you sit. Uh, you've lived here a very long time. You've started businesses here, mm -hmm. uh, some successful, some not in our earlier conversation, right? Um, what do you think now about the health of the Connecticut ecosystem and where we sit as a state? Um, we've talked a lot about um, the resources available to entrepreneurs here to harvest, the talent, the investors, and we have gotten various opinions about mm -hmm. this. Um, I'd love to get your take on what you see. You, you travel sure. the world and you come back yeah. home, right? You love yeah. the place, um, but you also have a lens to where we are. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of really 
uh, serious issues, challenges in Connecticut. The first is, I, mean, I lived in Stamford for 40 years and 43 minutes on the train and you can be in arguably the second most powerful entrepreneurial ecosystem in the United States, if not the world. And so the top 5, 10, 20% of the entrepreneurs don't even think about Connecticut. They jump on the train yeah. because if you need Perl coders or C++ coders or web designers, there are thousands of them there. Mm -hmm. And the same thing in the northern part of the state, you're close to Boston. So it, they, there's a pull that's very hard to uh, defeat, so to speak. The second problem is that it's a big state geographically. Um, and so the coders or the CFO or the designer you may need may be up in Shelton and you're down in Greenwich. Everybody I need is in Boston or New York. Right. Why am I, what am I doing here in Shelton? Um, and I think the third thing is the lack of investors. The investor's sense is the, the best deals are in the cauldron in New York. Yeah. And uh, sure, I would rather commute 15 minutes to my board meeting than an hour and a half. But uh, my, you know, if I'm a venture capitalist, the people who put yeah. their money behind me don't care how hard it is for me to manage the investment. They want returns. Yes, that's and, correct. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, too many of the sort of top tier funds in Connecticut are agnostic geographically um, because, and even though their investors may all be in Connecticut, it's just not an issue. Yes. Uh, you know. Yes. So, so on the, but on the bright side, uh, you know, what we see in Connecticut is, you know, a, a, a very strong surge. Uh, and I won't, I won't say that it's only been recently, but my view of it is recent in a very strong surge of homegrown entrepreneurs who are very dedicated um, to the place because they feel a real affinity to it and it feels like unplowed ground, you know, relative to, say, Silicon Valley or New York. I mean, mm -hmm. it, you, you, you know, there, there, there are resources here and a readiness of the place to, to, to grow. Um, so we know there's been a lot of, you know, homegrown success stories as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I, I agree with all of the headwinds you describe. Um, but we have lots of folks who manage through the channels. Um, I'm really intrigued by the idea Bob discusses about the directory, you know, the directory mm -hmm. approach, the, the who's who. Um, and I, I think that's fascinating. I think we've, we do have some steps towards that. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm going to... I'm, right. I'm going the to problem this. is everybody's got their piece of the pie and yeah. is protective of it. They ought to all be sort of put in the same soup, soup kettle and stirred until it was one <clears throat> homogenous website. Yep. And, I, I, can't, I can't agree enough. There is, there is a, uh, Tim Lawbacker and SoundWeb Solutions have a program that, that is supposed to be helping make all these resources available and it's starting to be used by CI, CT Next, CERC and a few other organizations. So each they, of whom has their own flavor of the day of this. And, yeah. 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 So it it'll be it's it's not perfect. It's not not there yet, but it, it at least I, at least you're not the only one beating the drum. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I think we're going to wrap this yeah, one up. Yeah, we do. Bob, thank you so much for your time. Sure. Wonderful. My pleasure. Okay. Great. Thank Thanks you. a lot, Bob. Thanks.